I want you to imagine a dream vacation for you. What would be your most, uh, the place you'd be most excited to go? For some of us, this may be uh, sitting on a beach somewhere. For some of us, this may be skiing. For some of you, this may be setting up your own tent and campground, which I don't understand at all. But nonetheless, some of you all have different thoughts about what would be your favorite place to go. And I want you to think about that. And I want you to think for just a minute, what would be the happiest moment of the vacation for you? What would be the moment that would make you the happiest as you get ready to do this vacation? And I ask that because there's a journal, the Journal for Applied Research in the Quality of Life, which sounds like a really weird journal, but they researched people's vacations and their favorite moment of vacation. And they know what people's happiest vacation moment typically is. And I'm about to show it to you, but I want you to create a mental picture of what you think it would be. And I will show you what the actual happiest moment is according to the research. Ready? It is sitting at your house planning the vacation before you ever go. They have found that the thing that people like best is planning for their vacation. The happiest you will feel is the moment that you sit in front of the computer and dream about how great the vacation will be. The reality is you're gonna be disappointed. The vacation isn't gonna be as good as you're imagining it be. But the anticipation of it is excellent and great. Uh, it's something that's just true about us human beings. We love anticipating stuff. Uh, if you think about it, uh, you, any children that you're around that are getting ready for Christmas time, they are far more excited about their presence on December 24th than they are about their presence on December 26th, right? It's, oh, what's it gonna be, what's it gonna be? They're all excited, and then they get it, and 20 minutes later, they're done. Uh, for many of us, the anticipation of a date is a better feeling than 10 minutes after the date is over, right? Because then we know what it was, and it wasn't as great as I thought it would be, but leading up to it, you're excited. Uh, Tori, I know this will sound crazy. Being pregnant is so much better than having a newborn baby, right? <laughs> the desire, oh, this baby's gonna come and you get, the, the, um, you get your nursery ready and you get your colors and you have a shower and I'm gonna have a baby, yes! And then it comes and oh no, and it's just that postnatal thing of dealing with when the baby has actually come. We are people who enjoy anticipating things a little bit better than we enjoy the actual thing. We're going to go into a series of sermons uh, about Advent. And I know for some of our theological traditions, I know this is the case for me, I didn't grow up talking about Advent. I grew up not talking about Christmas. Maybe some of you were in those households where the churches I grew up in, Christmas isn't in the Bible, so we can't do Christmas. And so we did Santa, but not Jesus. I know that seems very backwards for a religious family, but that's the way I grew up. Um, and so I grew up without Christmas, but many of us, Maybe talk about Christmas in church, but we didn't talk about Advent. What does that word mean? It seems like just a fancy religious term. And what Advent is, is Advent is a season of waiting and expectation. Advent is for the four Sundays before Christmas to anticipate and wait for what's about to come. Christmas is the big celebration. Hey, Jesus is here. Angels are singing. You know, light shows are going off. All this kind of stuff. That's the celebration. But Advent is the season before Christmas 
where we wait and we long and we hope. It is the time for pregnant women, quite literally, to expect the baby who is about to be here. It is a time of betrothal and engagement as you wait for the wedding to come. For many of us, it's a time to wait for prayers that we hope will one day be answered, but have not yet been answered. It's a time that we expect and we hope. Uh, I think it's really well summarized in the song we have, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Listen to the yearning of the song. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. That song draws you forward. This is not joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's we mourn while we wait for the Son to come. And so it's a time of hope and a time of expectation. And today in our sermon, we're going to do the first week of Advent. Uh, If you think you had a different listing of Advent somewhere else, you probably did. People can't agree on what these Sundays are. But the Sundays we're going to do are hope, love, peace, and joy, I think. That may not even be the order we're doing them in, but that's our Advent calendar. (laughs) We're starting with hope. And hope is important. Biblical hope really is like planning a vacation. Okay, even in getting this space ready, if you had asked me this week, do you think this is going to go well? I would have said, well, I hope it goes well. And that means two things for people. One thing that hope can mean is uh, it's got a 50-50 shot. We're going to show up, we're going to throw it against the wall, and let's hope it works out okay. That's not the kind of hope we had as we tried to prep for today and this Sunday in our new space. It was the expectation kind of hope. The hope that does work ahead of time, right? The kind of work where you study for a test and someone says, are you going to do well? And you go, well, I hope so. Uh, The kind of hope that you have even in a marriage, this maybe sounds sad, but even within a marriage with two good people, someone goes, oh, are you guys going to be together for 50 years? And you go, well, I hope so. I mean, we're working on it. We're going to do the best we can, but we don't know how long we'll be here. And we don't, you know, I don't know if she goes crazy and, you know, whatever, like things can happen. But hopefully, all things, all things considered, we're, we're working our way towards it. And this is the kind of hope the Bible talks about. The kind of hope that says God has promised things, God is going to come through. And so we look forward in eager anticipation of a thing we haven't experienced yet. And so we live in hope. And as I said, hope is really, this time of year at Advent, but also any time, is really um, focused a lot on babies and women having babies. And so we're going to look a little bit at a story today about someone uh, who is waiting to have a child. We're going to start Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was, able, was not able to conceive, for they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Luke gives us this awesome description of this couple. We have an older couple, at least old enough, 
that it seems that Elizabeth has gone um, through menopause. She's not going to have a child, never had a child, desired to have a child. And so we, we learned so much about the couple really quick. We learned, first of all, that there's a sadness to this couple because there's something they wanted in life that they never got to have. And they're trying to process that. And they're trying to live their life in spite of that disappointment. Uh, we also know that they're really good people, okay? Uh, when you read the Bible, there will be people that stress how terrible human beings are, and they'll pull open the book of Romans, and they'll say, no one is righteous, not even one, so you are the scum of the earth. And it's like, okay, thank you, Paul. We, we see what you're saying. But this passage is interesting in that it says a very different thing. It says Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous in everything that they did. It suggests that while Romans is correct that none of us live perfectly, there are people who live, generally speaking, the way God wants them to most of the time, right? They're just righteous people. They're good people. Elizabeth and Zechariah are the kind of people who cared about what God wanted and were, you know, attending the synagogue and were giving their money and were helping the poor and were good and friendly and kind and welcoming and warm and cared about justice and cared about all those things. They were just good people. Good, somewhat sad people. And on top of that all, Zechariah, we find out, has had a new career opportunity come his way. Zechariah is a priest, and as you may remember, there is a, there are certain jobs inside the temple that you only get to do when your kind of cohort of priests come up, and even then, only when you draw the, the short straw, or the long straw, however that works, right? It's just a luck thing. And so this is our family, a very righteous, good couple who are older, who have disappointment by not having a child, but now are focusing on some other things like focusing on career for Zechariah. And in the middle of Zechariah's big career day, he has a crazy experience. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts and the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we hear that John the Baptist will be born. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth's child. And um, the angel says a lot about this child before he's even born. Just real quick comprehension details. Uh, he's going to be somewhat of a Nazarite. Nazarites were individuals who um, had a special oath and would not cut their hair and would not drink fermented drink. Uh, we don't know if John the Baptist is technically a Nazarite, but this is kind of what's going on, is there's this promise before his birth that he's going to set himself aside for the Lord. Uh, also, we see the Holy Spirit pop up. Luke really, really loves the Holy Spirit. If you want a gospel about the Holy Spirit, you read the book of Luke. Because in this gospel, uh, Holy Spirit is always popping up. And here, even in these infancy narratives, we have children in the womb, not even born yet, Filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Um, but also we know that this is an accurate description of John the Baptist's ministry. So what John the Baptist is going to do is go out and preach, preach repentance, preach for people to come back and know God. And finally, uh, we find out that Elijah is going to, uh, he's going to be a prophet like Elijah. This is a picture of Elijah going up to heaven. Elijah and the identity of Elijah was really important to Jewish people at the time. There was the belief that when Elijah came back, that that would usher in the Messiah. Uh, and to this day, that you'll hear sometimes at Passover field feasts, uh, Jewish families will leave a chair at the Passover meal for Elijah. The idea being that Elijah will come back from heaven where he went up in a fiery chariot and he will take a seat at their table and declare that the age of the Messiah is coming. So all of those things are what are being promised to Zechariah. And Zechariah doesn't respond well. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. She, it's a good thing she wasn't there. This is probably not what she would have liked to hear him say to the angel. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah has allowed his waiting, his anticipation, his grief to make him a bitter man. He has an angel of the Lord before him giving him good news. And his response is, no way. Has there ever been something you've been so disappointed about? Something you wanted so badly that you got to a point that even if you had gotten it, you'd heard no so many times you wouldn't believe it. Where you're just so angry that an angel of the Lord could come and you'd go, you're a liar, that's impossible. Zechariah is so far from hope he literally is spitting in the eye of an angel when he hears that there's good news coming his way. And I don't want to bust on it. I don't want to be mean to Zechariah. He's had a hard experience. It is not easy to want a child and not be able to have one. But you see where his hopelessness is so dark and so deep that even the good news of God, he cannot hear because of how upset he is about his experience. So he's uh, struck mute, and he gets to go home and try to explain all of this to Elizabeth. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when this time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among his people. Uh, Elizabeth responds with hope. She finds out what has happened. She goes, God has done this for me. Just to read between the lines a little bit. Uh, I just think that Elizabeth and Zechariah looked at this situation really differently. Zechariah was so past believing that this would happen that even when he was told it would happen, he was like, nah. But Elizabeth is so on the edge of her seat. She's so expectant that God is going to do wonderful things in her life that she is waiting. It's like every day she wakes up with the hope maybe something's going to change. She refuses to let go of that. 
And maybe I give her a little bit too much credit, but I think there's this really interesting verse. Later on, she's going to meet her cousin Mary. Uh, if you don't know how much we love this passage of the Bible, two of our children are named out of this chapter of the Bible, right? And so Elizabeth and Mary talk later. And when she hears about Mary's pregnancy, this is what she says. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Um, it's a really fun exegetical game. Is she talking about herself or is she talking about Mary? I think she's talking about both. What Elizabeth shows us is that when we have hope, when we hold on to hope, when we trust that God's going to do amazing things, it blesses us. It brings us a happiness and a joy and an expectation of good things that help us to live better lives. We have a season like Advent. The church has encouraged us to wait and anticipate the birth of Jesus because it teaches us how to wait and anticipate the things that are coming down the road for us. That ability to hold on to hope is something we need desperately. And so my question for you today is which kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to live like Elizabeth or are you going to live uh, like Zechariah? Are you going to live assuming that God's not going to help you with that thing that you're praying for? Or are you going to live expecting that he will? Are you going to allow bitterness to take over in the things that disappoint you? Or are you going to listen patiently for the voice of God? Uh, We serve a God of promises and also a God who makes us wait. I want you to think about what you are waiting for today. What are you hoping for today? What kind of hope is it? Is it the 50-50, like, I don't know, hope? Or is it the like, no, I just believe in my heart that God's going to do this. And if you found out good news about it today, would you believe it or would you just curse at it? Because if you're not careful, that bitterness can take over your life. Living in expectation. It sounds silly. Imagine a kid waking up every day in December. Is it Christmas today? Nope, not today. Is it Christmas today? Nope, not today. They wake up on the 25th and you go, hey, it's Christmas. They go, whatever, dad. Right? Like that is the way some of us live with God. You told me no the last 24 days. So now I'm supposed to get all excited when you tell me yes. And that is the way bitterness can take over our hearts. Let's be people of hope and expect that God will do amazing things in our world.